So my belief that I had when I started painting again was... everybody and welcome to episode 85 of Art Juice. This is honest, generous and humorous conversations all about making art that will feed your creative soul and get you thinking with me Alice Sheridan and me Louise Fletcher. And today we are going to talk about false beliefs about making art but before we get into that that's going to throw up some goodies isn't it? It really is. It really is. So these are, yeah, well, we'll get into that when we get into it. But before that, how's your week been? Um, it's been a good week. It started off with a lot of painting um, and, a, and a new idea that I'm exploring, which is interesting because it's challenging me about my patience. And then it's finishing with the furniture that I had made being painted, um, all of it getting painted. And I've got some new cabinets from Ikea which arrived today for storing brushes and all sorts of stuff. And I took one look at them, took, looked in the box, wanted to cry. Oh. I mean, I, I'm expecting a chest of drawers and I get all these bits of chipboard. and Oh, drawers from Ikea are painful. Uh, so anyway, as I speak, while I speak to you, Andy's over there putting it all together. I'd rather yeah. pay than, yeah. um, than face that. So, but the painting, the the idea that came to me for my painting, this is interesting because it's challenging me, the whole new way of working, of being patient. So I've talked about the sanding idea and I've been working on a lot of that and I've been uh, sanding things and then painting over top and sanding back and, and really enjoying that. It's a very different way of working for me because I'm, I'm being very meticulous and tiny brushes and okay. delicate things, which I do, I not used to doing but I'm enjoying however I then had this idea I'd so enjoyed cutting the canvas last uh, for those who didn't hear I cut some canvas off a big some big stretcher bars I cut it out a and painted I, canvas one that you yeah already, after yeah. I'd worked on it and I loved the feeling of it so I went straight on Jackson's website and ordered myself a big roll of canvas and and then I I thought you know this idea of time depth of of going back into old layers and finding what's underneath I love the idea and so what if I took a big piece of canvas and I have a big I have a massive eight by four cork board in my studio now what, what was my old painting wall got moved into my new studio and I put cork on it painted it white and I was going to use it for drawings I was going to use it to pin big sheets yeah. of paper and paint or draw on them but then I thought, oh, I could put canvas on there, big piece of canvas, and do something on the canvas every day, mm -hmm. even if I'm not in there painting, make sure I go in and even if I just write something or make a mark or do something on it. And then after a set amount of time, which I decide in advance, then I send it back. And then it's kind of my history of that period of time. And if I use the colors that I'm working with on the actual paintings I'm currently working on, it will be a document of the colors I've been using and the marks I've been making. And then if I add in, you know, receipts or just bits of ephemera from daily life, it will actually be like a diary of what happened over that period. My original idea was I do it for a year. Right. I thought okay. that would be really cool. But then I thought, okay, 
if I wait a year to do it and then it's a complete wreck when I sand it back because I don't know what I'm doing, that's that'll disappoint me. So I'm going to do this for one month first. And it's about a five by four piece that I cut out. And then I'm going to send it back. I'm going to consider this just a complete experiment. And I'm going to do it after one month of doing it every day. I'm going to send back and see what's there. And that's in addition to what I'm working on. So that's just on this one wall and I'll just build that up. So I'm quite excited about that. This idea seems to keep, do you know when you get an idea that seems to keep feeding you with new little... Keep developing. Yeah, little bits. And you don't know if they're a cul-de-sac or not but anyway so that's what I've been up to it's a busy week how about you I like that adjustment as well from like oh I'm going to do it for a year because that would be really exciting that's how we tend to do things right huge great jump (laughs) ahead into the future that would be really cool Uh oh way too big way too big what what would make it manageable I love that and you you just said it like yeah yeah and then I just redecided but it's a big thing you know being able to do that when you have these big ideas and then just say, well, how can I just adjust it to make it fit now? Um, my thing would be, um, I see entirely what you're doing with the sanding of your paintings. It might be that this doesn't have to be sanded, particularly depending on what marks you add to it. Maybe this is cumulative rather than, and it's still a record of time. It's interesting you say that because I've decided that's the other thing I think well decided I don't know at the moment I'm pursuing this idea that some of the paintings are built up over time Mm -hmm. and some are sanded back um Mm. so and they look very different or some might have sanding and then be built back up and then I might leave them as they are who knows it's all a mystery I have no idea but it's all good fun very good fun it sounds good. Uh, I've had, I have to say, I've had uh, a, quite a tricky week. So actually, when we recorded last week, it was um, a little bit fresh, a little bit raw, but we had the great A-level debacle. Um, and for anybody overseas who wasn't aware of that, A-levels are your exams that you get at the end of your final year at senior school high school before you go on to university obviously this year in the UK they decided that um, students couldn't sit the exams because of pandemic and that they would have teacher assessed grades instead which is not the same thing as mocks and it's not the same thing as predictions and then the government decided they were going to standardize everything with an algorithm and it clearly threw up a whole load of crazy anomalies which resulted in people getting being given grades that were in no way aligned with what their teacher has assessed one of whom was my son so all of a sudden plans significantly awry what's going on it's just been the biggest mess and I have to say it still is a week later there we are edging closer to resolutions we've got resolutions on the grade but the poor universities now Oh my goodness. So Mm. although they should have held his place pending appeal because he more than exceeded his offer, hasn't been confirmed yet. So um, it was really interesting actually for me because, you know, emotionally it was, it's not even, you know, it's not even me, but it's your child. And I think it's probably the first time, you know, we've spoken a lot recently about privilege and all of those kind of things just this sense of injustice was so strong and really 
overwhelmingly difficult that sense of fighting against something and it didn't even go on for very long and I was just really conscious about how much it affected not just him but me everybody in our family in terms of energy levels what you can do about something and you know we all have that in different realms all the time money finance health family situations emotions and there's a difficult patch I found in raging against it wallowing um did quite a bit of that did a lot of tears did a lot of being angry and then after about so before they'd done the u-turn after about three days thought I cannot carry on living in this state about it because it either is going to change or it isn't going to change I can't I can't do anything about whether it is or it isn't what I can do is make a deliberate decision to shift what how it's affecting me and what I'm going to do about it um so I went out for a big long walk with a playlist and cried a lot and shouted at trees and um I was very glad I was in a a place that I could do that actually the shouting didn't last for very long the shouting didn't last for nearly as long crying was quite cathartic shouting didn't last for very long and then I just started listening to music where I could sing really badly very out loud and that then was quite fun and before I knew it things were feeling better and it was at the end of that day that the government announced their u-turn and I was just thought thank god but it's not the point is it's not fully resolved it's still not fully resolved it's edging that way but it it's just I I was it was just reminded again of how difficult it is when you have that huge emotional wash of something that is very difficult to move that's all it it makes me think when you mentioned privilege The only similar thing I can remember is when we had our other business, our entire income depended on it. And one day Google Mm. changed their algorithm and we dropped out of the search results completely. And our business was gone. We had no business left. And I remember Phil had gone out, I think, and I was at home on my own. And I just remember sitting there. There's no one to talk to at Google. There's no (laughs) appeal process. And I remember thinking, we're going to lose our house. We're not going to be able to eat and I can't do anything about it. And this sense of injustice, same, like so angry. So, and, and what it reminds you of is that some people live in a situation where that is their daily existence, the injustice that they can't fight against. And it was a real eye opener for me of realizing just how much I take for granted and just how privileged my life is. Yeah. Because that feeling, imagine feeling that all the time. Yeah, very, very difficult. So, yeah, I don't, you know, I don't want to, like I say, it is moving in the right direction. But it was interesting because it made me, when I was out on this walk, you know, I was even looking at things like, you know, where seeds had fallen and flowers had grown and certain things had been trampled or not trampled. And I was just thinking it's just so random and that's what this thing is it's so random and I'd been looking again at the news of refugees coming over and you know it's just random isn't it where you're born Mm -hmm. what you have um and it's funny that I think that throughout my work there has always been this thread of I used to say it was chaos and control I no longer feel so much chaotic but it's just this balance of randomness and what you do with it I suppose and creating scenarios where the randomness can be arrived at which is arguably 
false in the first place then anyway I don't know <laughs> we could go too far down that road but that's basically what it seems to me that that my art making is about is that, that the random and where you control or funnel or direct it or what you do with it and it's just like what we do what we have to do in life all the time because who knows what's going to happen who knows none of us know it's all you know and it it just means that everything is at the same time meaningless and the same meaningful because what's the point of it once you start thinking about that like that you then you soon get to what's the point of any of it which doesn't really do you any favors doesn't help so that was my point really that the idea of just turning things around a little bit and it's it's actually kind of prompted some idea new ideas similar to your big project where you just add to things um so i, I don't know and it felt do you know what it felt good to have that rage a little bit i don't think i've had that for quite a long time and it felt quite good to have that extreme and I thought, actually, I want a little bit more of that in my work. I want it to be less careful and less controlled and a little bit more just okay. So I don't know. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Oh, exciting. Okay, so you brought this topic up. So the topic is, um, you thought what? False, <laughs> false beliefs about art making and I'm sure I've got I've got a list here you've got a list here how are we going to do this are we going to go through them one by one because there's 10 things here and I bet we could think of twice as many yeah and I bet we'll get if we do one each we'll probably get to about four before we've run out of time <laughs> I know so how are we going to manage this are we just going to chip well, why in don't we do? yeah why don't we do you do one Right. I'll do one and we can talk about them, but but then we'll just have to limit ourselves, won't we? Okay. We'll just have to keep an eye on time. Right. Okay. Yeah. Limiting beliefs dealt with in five minutes flat. Okay. So my first one was um, that you need all the skills, like basically you need to be an expert before you begin. And I've, I've written, well, I obviously can't really have believed this one because <laughs> if I really believed it, then I really never would have got started. But it was certainly up there as an imposter syndrome thing, whether that quite counts as a belief. But yeah, certainly felt like, you know, you're not doing this properly until you're an expert, which is ridiculous because you can't be an expert until you start having a go at things, can you? And it's such a common belief, though, for the people who join my course, I'd say that's one of the biggest beliefs is um, I need all the techniques, like mm -hmm. I need to understand the techniques. And and I keep saying that, I mean, you can learn that from books and videos and things, but also from just doing it yeah. and trying things. And so often people will say, what can I do this? Can I can I put thick paint over thin paint in acrylics? Well, try it and see what happens. Mm. But the idea of, I think it's the same limiting belief that you're saying here. It's the idea that, well, I can't try it and see what happens until I know that I've got the skill to do it. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's, a bit, it's partly a time-based thing, isn't it? Um, in the sense that you feel like you should know it all already and again this probably goes back to school where that's what we're judged on you're judged on getting things right 
you know, yeah. getting it marked yeah. correct rather than have a go. You can't I do everything. That's the other thing is you can't possibly be an expert in everything in art. You've got to find your way in it. Yeah. And I think in a way I'm looking at my list and actually one of mine is probably the same flipped slightly around. I've got, you have to be born with this special talent. And I think what I mean by that is you have to be born with all the skills before right. you begin. I think yeah. that's kind of the same thing. It's like, I thought, well, yes, I've always loved drawing and painting from being a child. And I've always had people tell me I was good at drawing and all that, but not there was a, a little boy in my school, Dale Airy, and he could draw better than me. When we were in primary school, he could just draw better than everybody. And it just got my goat because I was the one who's good at drawing. And now mm-hmm. I was in the school and he was good at drawing. He was better than me. But I, in my mind, I think, and Dale Airy, as far as I know, became a scientist and doesn't even paint anymore. <laughs> um, but I thought someone like him would go on to become an artist and I wouldn't because I wasn't born with that extra special brilliance. And I think I thought that if you were born with that, you just could do stuff. You just decided to, I don't know, paint a landscape and you just did it because you had the skill for it. I didn't realize that everybody struggled and learned. So some of the problem is the labeling, isn't it? you know we label ourselves with you know i am an artist i'm a scientist and and that definitely happens early on I, in terms of skill level though i just wonder i'm pretty sure that i was encouraged via an alternate route from things like that that happened early on like i remember winning a coloring in contest mm-hmm. this was a Lambeth Church Fate and they used to issue these black and white illustrations basically outline drawings and you had to color them in I mean you know enormous skill anyway (laughs) one year I won probably aged about nine and that that was it in my head you know I was there I'd made it so I think these things these 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 things do help but if you don't have them then so what what was it that helped you overcome that it's only in recent years. I think real, you know what it is? It's getting to know other artists. Re, I mean, I'd always yeah. read about artists, famous artists. I'd always read books about artists. But getting to know real artists in the last four or five years, online mainly, yeah. and, and realizing that, the, that they, it, well, one of the biggest realizations I had was from a workshop I took where the tutor showed us how to layer and build up layers and then discover things. This was an in-person workshop. And I just had this light bulb moment of when I look at her paintings and some other people's paintings and I see these effects and I think, how did they do that? They happened randomly. They don't know either. Yeah. I was like, oh, (laughs) so it's not like I have to do that. I don't have to engineer that. You mean I just have to keep painting and, magical things will happen that was a big revelation to me and also Um, I think the fact that when you go on workshops there are other people taking workshops as a uh, participant not leading them but taking them as a participant who you look at and think 
oh my gosh, but you've clearly got everything sorted and yet you're still here learning. So it's that learning mindset, isn't it? I think once you switch on to the fact that you're never going to have all the skills, you're never going to know. So don't even try. It, it just kind of cracks. And I think when you have that crack in that belief, then it's quite easy to, to, to scatter it. But you just, you, you've got to have those, that evidence, haven't you, in front of you from, like you say, either people that you meet or you know online or you just think, oh, so that's the way it works. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so that's, uh, so we don't, basically, you don't need to have all the skills before you begin or be born with a special talent. Right, you do your next one then. Okay, my next one is, you have to have gone to art school. Right. So in my mind, and this is the English exam system in my era, I had to have done an art O level, which I wasn't allowed to do. The school wouldn't let me do art. I had to do academic subjects. And because I was not the best student, they told my mum that my mum asked if I could do an extra O level and do art because she said she draws anyway. She might as well do it. And because I wasn't the best student, they said she won't concentrate if she's doing art as well. And as it turned out, in my first go around with my O-levels, I failed almost everything anyway, because the only things I cared about were art and literature and the rest of it, I just wasn't interested in. So anyway, I thought you had to have done the O-level, done the A-level, which you do when you're 18, gone to art school for four years, and then you would be somehow deemed at that point, tapped on the shoulder with a a sword and said, you are now officially an artist. And then you would go out into the world and be an artist. So because that was cut off for me at 16, I really limited myself in that belief. And even though I, I ended up going to a college which offered art as a minor subject, and I was able to do some art in college without really great instruction, I must be honest, but we had a studio to go in and we had materials and we had lectures and things even then to me that wasn't the that wasn't real that was me dabbling because I hadn't done this path so that was a real limiting belief for me and now I know again having met other people that very often going to art school actually stops people in their tracks and they often don't paint again for many years or they go to art school and then they go off and do something else anyway And that many people who went to art school say they didn't learn that much while they were there. Others don't say that. But in other words, it's not this great magical thing that I thought it was. And there are other ways to learn what they teach in art school. Yeah, totally. So it's just a ridiculous belief. But I carried that around with me until probably I was 50 years old, I would say. And I think the tricky thing about that is that that's a that's really a looking back belief rather than a looking forward belief. It's like because I didn't make this decision or this thing didn't happen to me, however many years ago, that's limiting me now. So here's another way of looking at that one that might be another way to belief bust it. Um, Knowing what you know now about art schools, would you have done anything differently? Would you like to have gone to art school? Yes. You would? I still would have. I still okay. would have liked to. Because, because uh, college for me was wonderful. Yeah. It was a wonderful experience of being young and being with your friends. And if it was also filled with making art, I think it would have been more fun. But not, I, I wouldn't want to have done it because I think that's the way. Do you know what I mean? I just would have wanted to do it because I think it sounds like yeah. it would have been a fun way to spend three years or four years. 
That's interesting because I still wouldn't want to have gone to art school. Why? Because um, of the, the way it would prejudice what you do now or change. Yeah, I think it. I think it would have pushed me even more into that thinking that art has to be a particular kind of way, or it might, you know, art very much then. So it was um, young British artists, and it was Damien Hirst and his pickled sharks and that kind of thing. And I, I don't know. Wouldn't it be interesting to see how things would have turned out differently? But you know, I really decided that it wasn't what I wanted to do at that time. And I still think that that was the right decision for me. I think that's a really good point, actually. That is a really good point because one of the things I've seen people get get hung up with after they leave art school is that sense that you can't make art unless you have a serious purpose or a concept behind it. And it must fit into the, you must know where it fits into the art history and you must be able to articulate that. And that is what I've seen stop so many people because mm. they've not explored yet who they are, what they want to do, and they get hung up on. It's not important. What I'm doing is not significant because it doesn't. So I agree, yeah, actually, maybe I wouldn't. And, okay. and funnily enough, I keep, I, I'm so hung up on it that I still sometimes look at degree programs and think, should I do something? Yes. Yeah. I do an MA and spend a couple of years really do- and then I think do you know what I absolutely hate being told what to do I want to do my own thing and I don't want to have to go start making pots or something because that's what we're doing I just don't want to do that I know I don't so I have to remind myself but it's so much ingrained I've even thought of going doing an A level oh really I want an art A level Really <laughs> stupid. I also thought about going and doing my maths all level because I never passed it because I didn't try, so I could go get one. But why would I do that? I don't, I don't need... know. <laughs> I've looked at degrees too, and I just get hung up on like I don't want to prove myself to anybody else's standards. I like to set my own standards and prove myself to my yeah. standards. Like <laughs> set the rules for myself. But okay, so my next belief is something that probably, having said all of that, would have been got rid of at art school. So my belief that I had when I started painting again was you must work in proper oil paint on canvas because anything else is simply amateur. And that's a belief that I had 15 years ago. That was the only type of, I would say not art, but that was the only type of paintings that counted. And I I suspect that if I had gone to art school, (laughs) that would not have been there in the first place and you know wouldn't have been an issue yeah yeah I never I never had that one I don't think I thought very much about materials um as a in in any way because I because I just didn't think I could do it so it didn't even really matter I heard it from gallerists too you know we can't ask as much for your work if it's acrylic as if it's oil paint why i mean it it still it still exists this thing yeah in some people's minds not in everybody's mind um so yeah so that's not one that you have then oil paint is the only paint that counts no no right easily done and i've I've never used it so I've, i've never used it from well when i was a child my uncle who was a good painter he gave me some 
oil paints, little tubes. And I remember using them for a little bit of time till they ran out and I didn't have any more. But no, ever since then, so I would have been about 12, I've never used oil paints. So I'm not a real artist. There we are. I can never be a real artist. You don't use oil paints. Well, I started off using oil paints again when I started painting again. And I just felt that they really slowed me down. I think now in the intervening, whatever it's been, 15 years, I've learned enough different ways of working that I think I would have... Uh, I have more understanding now of my own personal process to be able to manipulate that material in a way that I would want to use it rather than the way that I thought it had to be used. So again, another, another example of shifting, shifting change. And I suppose tied in with that, do another one of mine, just because it links, uh, you have to use brushes, which again, what? I mean, that's obviously wrong. How many artists (laughs) over histories, even painters have used palette knives or all sorts of things. So, but, but that, you know, buy yourself good kit, buy yourself proper. Actually, we don't have that on this list, do we? Buy the most expensive um, materials you can. Um, You've got to have proper hog hair brushes, proper professional, professional oil paint. This is what you need to have to get set up to start making art wrong 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 and then it's so limiting isn't it because if you've spent all that money on very expensive stuff you don't want to mess it up you don't want to use too much paint because it costs too much money and in when I think back to the first paintings I started making when I started using acrylics if I was using the most expensive acrylics kind of would have been a bit of a waste of paint um because that they weren't very good so I, I I'm quite glad I actually did start with cheap stuff although I did read over and over again that you're not supposed to mm. but I just knew I knew I would feel restricted if I spent money on expensive paint now I've started finally to start spending money on expensive paint but I'm okay with it now and I don't feel like I'm wasting it I think I would have felt I was wasting it in the beginning So it gave me freedom. It is a tricky one because there is no doubt that when you have the right tools for the job, it takes away some of the frustration. Mm -hmm. So it is like if you buy really cheap brushes that are always losing their hair, it's no good. Or brushes that don't hold their shape, it's no good. So I've started using different brushes recently and, you know, they are really quite a pleasure to use when it's the right brush for the right job. But I didn't know that at the time. And again, like you, I think if you'd started, if I'd thought, well, I've got to buy this brush or this paint before I even begin, then you never really get even lift off in the first place, do you? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, hit Um, me with another. Right. So this one is specific to me. And two, two of mine are specific to what limited me when I started. So, and I've mentioned this before, but I firmly believed I would not ever be able to master color. And I was frightened of color. I was frightened of even trying, say, six years ago, six, seven years ago. So what I did was I started to work in pen and ink. And then when I started using painting, I was painting in black ink. You know, I was doing everything in black and white. And I I just, I don't know what I thought would happen if I tried to use color, but I just, it's, it's tied back into that thing about you have to be born with a special talent I think like I wasn't born but I do know maybe what bothered me was this 
I'm not good at envisioning, like, let's say we're going to decorate the living room. I cannot pick a color and then imagine it. I have to go get some test pots, paint a decent sized patch of the wall, and then I can maybe imagine it. I've never been good at visualizing color in that way. And so I think I might have carried that into believing that therefore I wouldn't know how to use it in my paintings. And now I tend to use color more even than value to kind of control what you look at in a painting. And I love color and at my happiest times are mixing new colors. I love working with a limited palette and then getting as many colors out as I can out of that. But I firmly believed I couldn't do that. And so, so I spent the belief. The belief was that mixing color is too complicated for me. Yeah. That yeah. I wasn't, I just, I don't, it's hard for me to pinpoint exactly what it was in my mind. It's the belief is I can't do color and I'm not going to embarrass myself by trying. Right. Because if, if I try, I'm going to look like a fool. Like the color if fairy, I, the color fairy is going to come along and say, you've got it wrong. Yeah. Well, people who see my stuff, you know, people, I think a lot of people have this, your friends or your family or the people who see what you're doing. Somebody once said to me, when writers, when they're, they, they put their stuff away and no one sees it, it's on their computer, no one sees it. Because what we do is visual. Everybody sees what you're producing. And um, so my black and white, I was quite realistic then. My black and white ink drawings were lovely. I was very good at them. I could do it easily. And, um, I didn't want to, I think I didn't want to do something that I felt I wasn't capable of. Yeah. And when I did start playing with color, I did it in watercolor initially. That was another one because I felt I couldn't manage acrylics. I thought watercolor was easy. Ha ha ha. I thought that would be <laughs> little did I know. And so I still struggled. But then what changed it was I started going to life drawing classes and I, I got bored of drawing the figures. So I started to take my watercolors with me. And because I was doing it quickly, because we only had two hours, I was getting these really lovely color combinations from just a couple of colors and realizing, oh, I really like those colors together. And then I started to get interested in it and less scared of it. But funnily enough, I'm thinking I had to be doing something well before I would make the next step and play with it. Yeah, it's a fear thing again, isn't it? Yeah, I, I think the issue around color is because there are scientific ways of understanding color. You know, as soon as you pick up a color theory book, you get into light waves and frequency and what the, Ugh. you know, all of that. So as soon as you get anything like that, it's kind of like or like literal power. <laughs> powering down of the brain so I don't I I don't I'm not even I don't even want to learn it like that so forget that the number of color theory books I've got the reality of it is that it's really quite simple but I think it's become bound up with all of these rules and names and just fancy terms around color now I think you I think you do have to understand it and I think it does help when you understand it but the the real basic rule of color is really simple you know if once you understand the six you know three primaries 
add the others in. Once you understand, if you mix two complementary colours that are opposite each other, you'll end up with something muddy and brown. That's it. That's all you need. Really, that's all you need to know. Then your only question becomes, well, how muddy do you want it? Or how saturated and intense do you want it? What do you like? I mean, I think we're all born with this sense of, we all have those moments where we see colour, where we react to colour, where we just go, oh, that's lovely. And you know it, you go to somebody's house. And even though we're not interior designers, you can see when people are playing, maybe people play safe with colours in their homes, but they're really flamboyant with the way they dress, or maybe they're quite sedate with the way they dress, but they pick jewellery in certain colours. We all have these moments where we can do colour, where we have that response, and it's just how you bring that into your artwork. But I think it's just the fact that there are proper rules around colour that yeah. You need to know and, and it's 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 a hang up. It is a hang up. So what's your next one? My next one would be one that really held me back at the beginning of wanting to take my art practice uh, seriously, capital S, um, which was that I needed hours at a time in order to make anything in purpose with purpose so so for example if if I didn't have a patch of three or four hours in the day amongst so this I I came back to making art again properly when my youngest started to go to school but we'd got a new puppy um you know all the normal things needed doing and it was a real struggle and I felt like I needed to have a four hour chunk of time otherwise it wasn't worth getting the paints out it wasn't worth getting the materials that it just was I wasn't going to get anywhere and um, realizing that I could do things in small steps either on a daily basis or actually even not on a daily basis it goes back to what I was saying right at the beginning about how it made me feel even if I did half an hour on something that was art related I felt like me again Mm. so creating projects with myself so the belief was I need hours at a time in order for this to do any good um and the way that I did that was I kind of came up with small projects that I could settle to easily and quickly Mm. yeah I think I I think I probably thought that too need hours of time and need a big space I think I probably thought And when I first came back to doing my art, I was in the room I'm talking to you from, which you've been in, which is almost like a cupboard. And this is all I had. It has a little table in it. And um, this is all I had. But like you, I could come in here. I came to love coming in here because this was my little space to do my own creative thing, which at the time was a lot of black and white ink drawing and sketching in sketchbooks. Mm. So I didn't need a lot of space anyway. And that just that sense of, I I agree with you, just doing something for a little bit of time. And when it really opened up for me was when I found out about working in a series, because when you're working in a series, just half an hour on one, that's all you need. And then you can go and feel like you've moved the the whole group forward because you've done half an hour on one. Yeah, you get a kind of rolling momentum that feeds back into other things, don't you, a bit? Yeah. I think yeah. I think the space thing is hard. I mean, I didn't have my own little space. I had a desk in a room that was allocated for something else. 
um, and gradually <laughs> spread and, and took over that. But even things like, I remember putting, having materials on a tray so that I didn't have to go and find them and I could just move the tray get that out and there they all were ready things like um using a stay wet palette total game changer because you mm -hmm. didn't have to oh here's another one to do with color and time feeling like you need to squeeze out every version of every color on your palette to have a complete laid right you need to have the cool and the warm yellow and the cool and the warm red and it, because that's how i was taught Right. That's how I was traditionally taught. You need all those colors. And then feeling like I was breaking the rules. If I just felt that actually, do you know what? All I want to do today is mix different blues and I'm going to make, I'm just going to do blue marks today. And that's going to be today's contribution. That's it. So, but you feel really naughty when you uh, break those rules and you start to make your own governing principles, don't you? I saw, I think it was Portrait Artist of the Year or Landscape Artist of the Year, and Tai Shan Schierenberg, who's a portrait artist, is one of the, the judges. And he went up to someone who was painting and he said, oh my gosh, if you were my student, I'd go mad about that palette. Because they just mixed all their colours and it was a mess and it wasn't laid out in that circular yep. thing with the warm. Yep. And I just thought, oh good, I'm glad you're not my teacher because if you saw my palette, it's an absolute mess. I know, just add it in. There she go. <laughs> I wish I was a bit more, I think I might need to learn to be a bit more organized, but. Okay, so needing hours at a time then as a belief, have we, have we moved past that? Yeah, I think we've, we've crushed that one. Yeah. Um, so We would like hours at a time. Actually, I don't yeah. even, not sure, even sure I want hours at a time. I get tired. After about four hours, I start to get tired. That's absolute my max now, rather than my ideal. So perhaps that's the difference. Yeah, I've, I used to say, oh, two hours and then I've had enough. And I've realized that with this new process I'm doing, I get engrossed and actually it's a longer, but I think four, four and a half hours is the most I've done before getting too tired and starting to just make mistakes or rush things. Or So it's another thing though, where you have to find your own ideal amount of time, isn't it? It's different it for everybody. Some people can do eight hours and still be wanting to be in there. So, well, my next one was also about what wasn't for me, which was abstract art will never be for me. Right. Um, I will never be an abstract painter. And then I, I the same workshop where I learned about the layering and what was happening and the surprises, the same workshop I did, we did an exercise that was an, an abstract exercise in nature. And I loved what I did. And I was so excited. Wow. Um, and it was like, I think it's thin acrylics, but I, I came back and said to Phil, I think I might like abstract art. Like, how very dare you? Abstract art might be for me. And then I still didn't do it for another two years after that. But yeah, I just thought that's not for me. And again, I think it goes back to this idea I had that the, I think I thought abstract artists, they would have to be in a New York studio a big loft and they'd have to be just they'd probably have a berry on or something I don't know but they'd have to well, be and huge in, obviously obviously yeah, huge. creating 10 foot paintings obviously. exactly yeah. yeah and and they were just born and deemed as this thing 
and they just went and did it because that's what I think there's a lot of mine now that come back to thinking you were just born as something and I'm far too pragmatic and normal and boring to ever be able to do anything that imaginative I think I never had the belief which I see some people have that making abstract art will be easier than making realistic art so often I'll get people in my course who say well I've done my first abstract but it's awful I, I'm not cut out for this yeah. yeah I always had the belief it'll be really harder hard. harder yeah. yeah and I won't be able to do that and now I have the belief that I can't do it yet to the level I want to do it to I think we often I think I was gonna say I think we all often have that I can't do it to the level that I want to yet and I think uh, there's something about abstract art partly because I think it's something that often you see artists move to towards the end of their lives like when they have got decades of experience you know and it's it's a it's a purifying of their study somehow it's a culmination of everything that's led to that point you can't just pitch up so this is a belief that i still have you cannot just pitch up and make a good abstract painting hmm. got to have you still need to have all of those skills developed in terms of balance and composition and and you know this not the story or the thought or the there has to be there has to be a meaning a reason for it to be there for you have gone through that process and and when i say the meaning the meaning can just be the activity of going through the process of creating it but i think often you do see people just say abstract art is you know random i saw something on youtube this morning or somewhere i don't know instagram and it was just colors squeezed out and then two canvases put face to face and twisted and pulled apart and like that's abstract art sorry not in my book it's not still isn't sorry don't want to upset anyone but um, if i do that's it i don't think that is ever i do think it is possible to make a good abstract painting by accident i do think that's possible without understanding any of those things but not possible to do it twice so you might be able to do it once but then if you don't understand composition and color if you don't have and if you don't have some reason like you say the reason I always find it hard to explain this to students that when I say you have to have a meaning behind it I don't mean it has to be about poverty in the western world it just has to be in this painting you've decided that's what you want people to look at or that's what you want people to feel or that's what you want people to think it can be anything but you've made some decisions it's not just totally random and that for me is why that that sanded painting a few weeks ago that happened was a struggle. By yeah couldn't I could never have accepted it just as it was no matter how many people told me it was beautiful, I cannot, sorry, just send something back and say that's a painting. Now, that's probably a wrong belief too. There's probably some New York artist in a loft somewhere making a fortune doing something like that. But in my mind, I have to have made decisions about composition and colour and I have to have structured it somehow. But yes, this is funny. So yesterday, Andy the Builder was building my tables over the garage and I was painting and he and I 
I was thinking, thinking, and then I went and made a mark and he started chuckling. And I said, what's funny? And he went, you were so purposeful then, like you were really thinking about it. And then you went and you just daubed and then you stepped back as if you'd done something. (laughs) (laughs) And that is, I was, I was listening to another discussion and I'm not sure where, but they were saying, if you do not as the viewer possess that understanding of the structure, then you might not be able to understand or see it even though it's there right in front of you now admittedly mine might have been a random daub I'm not quite sure yet but even the viewer has to and that's why so many people don't understand abstract paintings I think that I, I know lots of people who would look at the the two that you saw smushed together and say well what's the difference between that and what you do no but I, think, I think there's a difference isn't there? there's a difference in uh skill and if you think about for example music so let's pick opera right I don't know a lot about opera I'm not a singer if I knew about it I could listen to a piece of opera and I could identify and there are names and words and terms for all the different skill and I could appreciate it on a whole different level It still doesn't mean that there aren't certain pieces of opera that I listen to and they make me cry. It doesn't, does it matter? I don't know what the notes are. I just put, no, not Ness and Dorma, not Ness and Dorma. No, too cheesy. Oh, it's not (laughs) cheesy. It's beautiful. Sorry. It's been ruined by football for me. Oh, I don't watch football (laughs) anymore. It's a long time since I watched football. Oh, but when Pavarotti goes up to the high note, I just can't, I can't. Yeah. And and I've got a recording of it where there's an audience cheering at the end. It's like his last big performance of Ness and Dorma. And I just, I stand there and I cheer with everybody else until, yeah. <laughs> until they stop cheering. But, but yes, I think I that's what you want. That's what you want. Yeah. doesn't matter actually whether it's uh, representational art or abstract art. You know, if we make art, we can appreciate to a higher degree what's gone into it. But at at the end of the day, you want that result from the viewer. And some people are going to get it and some people, some people aren't. But uh, uh, abstract, a fascinating subject, isn't it? I mean, I don't know. Sometimes I think exactly that. What's the point? It's all just daubs of random paint. I felt like that yesterday. I was definitely having a random paint day yesterday. But then I'm looking at one now. I'm looking at a painting that I bought uh, coming up maybe 17 years ago. And it is, it's, um, you know, it's got a dark patch at the top and then a red scratchy patch and a yellow scratchy patch. I still love it. Mm. All it is is colour things on the surface doesn't matter it just you just get that reaction to it don't you yeah that's what we're trying for my final one is possibly following on from that my final one is you must have gallery representation to count and for people to take you seriously Mm. that was a biggie for me I think I probably had this too And I think it's shifted a lot in the last, well, five years in particular. But initially, I think when I started painting again, going through galleries was almost the only way that you could do it. 
I'm thinking back when I started painting. I mean, we, I did have a computer then. I did have a computer, but we weren't on it all the time like we were now. This, I think Facebook probably had recently just started, but nobody was really using it that much. Mm. So it was the only avenue. It was very difficult. And of course, that has all changed. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, there is no doubt that if you can find a gallery who gets the way you're working, and I think they can be a huge positive beneficial input into your work firstly having somebody else to have those conversations with you know this is what I'm trying to do um this is what I'm interested in developing having somebody else's feedback on that from slightly the other side of it I think would be a fantastic thing to be able to have but I don't think you have to have it you you clearly clearly because we see so many examples of this don't have to have it in order to be able to sell your work and Mm. do do you have to have it if you want to be regarded in the higher echelons of the big art world yeah probably probably still I don't know if I don't even know if that's true to be honest I think you could make a great big splash if that's really what you were setting out to do and get attention in the art world in other ways without having to have gallery representation. So I think one of those is, is just checking in with actually what's important for you rather than what somebody else's dreams, maybe. Mm. This is true. I think I always thought the art world, you had to have the approval of the art world, whatever I thought, which includes galleries, I think. And again, that goes back to those, those people in giant lofts in Manhattan you know, doing in these imaginary lives, those are the, the the exalted few who have that. And I didn't see all the strata. I'm, I tend towards black and white thinking anyway. So it's like all or nothing, not all the different levels in between that and all the different ways of doing things. And even if I think about when we talked to Brian Ruttenberg, he said, mm-hmm. he just I think he said either one show or two shows a year and he knows when they're going to be and he does 15 paintings for those. That doesn't sound like fun to me. That doesn't sound like a way I would like to work, but I know it works. He's, he's got that set up. He doesn't have to worry about selling them. Someone else is taking care of all that. He just does the work. I get the appeal of it, but I think I would find it very pressured and uh, like a job, which it is a job for someone like that. It is. A, yeah. a nine to five job but it I I, I, I realize now it's not for me I've, even if it means I'll not be ever I'll not be ever taken seriously at that level so are we um, never get, we're never gonna have uh, Louise Fletcher's alongside uh, displays of stuffed stockings at freeze no no <laughs> no can you live with I, that I'm planning I'm planning a joint exhibition with Tracy Emin before I die. (laughs) I was thinking about that. She's having, she was having this exhibition. I think it's long over now. I was watching a documentary about it with her work in Egon Sheila somewhere. And I thought, and she was saying, this is like massive. This is because he was my idol growing up. And just imagine that. I mean, that would be quite remarkable. Anyway. Not for I us. think well, the key with me. that, though, for me, is 
check like, like you say the strata is a nice way of looking at it check in with the level that you are at now and decide if if there is something that you want to set your sights on for it then do that you know if mm. you've if you if gallery representation is important to you find some for whom you'd like to work with and look at the kind of work they display and i think you have to be really honest with yourself is your work at that level yet and if it isn't you've got a bit more work to do that's okay it's not a problem mm. it takes time at least you know what you're aiming that's for. what you're working towards and and i think this thing of when you look at what other people have or what other people are doing or the ways that other people are working this has just been one of the biggest signposts always for me if i just have that oh that looks really cool i'd quite like to do that that's a good flag if i look at something and i just think as you say that sounds stressful i don't want to be in that kind of you know relationship with somebody where i would feel under obligation don't do it mm. yeah follow what feels good follow so what feels my good final, my final That's one is, is recognized by everybody uh, or many people i'm sure my final belief was that you can't make a living from art and i held that belief until about two years ago when it got crushed crushed at your house when i came for the retreat but people I, are still arguing about this from our episode two episodes ago so that was episode 83 uh, i we, there are still discussions about this going on oh i missed oh. this yeah what is the discussion what is the argument whether you can make a living from art yeah. or an you, art ca- you can't the, the argument is that you can't and um i i've seen people saying you know i've seen people who are held in quite a high esteem saying you know you shouldn't expect to make a living from your art you should find something else to do that supports it and i still hmm. argue with that i think there's yeah. a bigger question which is what counts as a what counts as making a living different for everybody and then what counts as making a living from art so for some people yeah, so- it would only count as selling the art yes yeah, but- so all all my belief was artists can't make a living so I wasn't restricting it to just selling paintings, but even with the, I pictured, so you sell a few paintings a year and you teach a few workshops in village halls, which don't pay anything. And so I couldn't see how you could add that together into anything that would make what I would consider a living being. I wouldn't be willing at my time of life to go back to living in a garret I would have done it when I was, you know. But here's an interesting thing. Going back to evidence we had, your colouring competition. When I was in college, we had, our, we had our minor in art and we had a little exhibition at the end of our degree. And my, I, I did some charcoal drawings of stone walls. And one of the lecturers, who I didn't even know, came up to me in the hall and said, could I buy your, those two charcoal drawings of the stone walls? And I was like, buy I, I couldn't it like buy my we didn't even put prices on things no one was supposed to buy anything anyway I think she gave me like 60 pounds for the two drawings I didn't even know what to ask her for and that was back in the 80s that was a decent amount of money and that should have been, I, I keep looking back on that and thinking why wasn't that some evidence to me that there was some something there a way of making money that why wasn't that evidence to me but I just that was a fluke one-off and I didn't try and sell yeah. anything again for many, many years after that. Yeah. 
And it, but you already mentioned that combination of selling work, running workshops at whatever level. And I, I, I somehow it's almost as if art has become placed on, I, I don't know, some kind of pedestal where it only counts if that's all you do. And it's just never been the case with art through the centuries. No. Never. No. Like, what, why do we, where did that come in? And also, what a narrow waste of, well, I don't say, it's not a narrow waste of talent, because if that's what you want to do, that's fine. But for me, it feels like a waste to not share or, um, I, know, I know I'm happier doing the teaching side of things than just doing the painting side, because it gives me a whole other reward you were saying last week about how you feel about coaching people individually mm. you can't that's a different kind of reward than you get from making paintings and it means you're putting more out into the world than just the paintings I I find that really inspiring I, I don't mean to suggest you you shouldn't make a living just from paintings if you want to but I know I, that feels too narrow to me and I think the other thing is you mentioned you said you said I know that I'm not prepared at this stage of life to do this. Mm -hmm. I think because art comes from something that we do initially from a sense of enjoyment. As soon as we start to have other things related to it that aren't quite so enjoyable, then we start to go, oh, I don't, I don't want to do that. I'm not prepared to do that. But like, there isn't a job that exists where you don't have some parts of it that aren't fun or that you don't want to do or that don't pay anything you know I know from my husband's job there's things where he says you know the absolutely zero chargeable time today but you've still been working from nine I spent a day yesterday seven hours on admin that's all it was like no one's paying me for that part but yeah. it's still contributing to this sense of like this big art based globe of different activities that I do that is not yeah. You know, it's all still art related. But again, I think that comes back to evidence. It's it's a tricky thing, but also being honest with yourself about what do you really want from it? What do you want from it? And are you prepared to do it? Because if you really are, then you'll do it. And if you're really not, then that's okay too. But yeah. But this idea that with all these beliefs and the, and the artist can't make a living was definitely holding me back for a couple of years. And the the limiting beliefs when we realize that we are actually just having a belief that by holding on to that belief it's like we're blocking anything from coming through mm. and un until we let go of that belief it's a bit like with the paintings when you said to me a couple of weeks ago you're holding very tightly to the ted hughes idea that that struck home when I let go of my attempt to control what it was going to be, ideas started flooding through again as if I turned the tap on because I stopped staring at this thing over here and then there was room for the other stuff to come in. And with all these limiting beliefs, that's what we do. We, we, we block the solutions or the possibilities by insisting you must work in oil paint, you must have brushes, you need hours at a time, all these things we've gone through. Yeah, because you just reinforce them more and more and more. And then yeah. there's no space for anything else. And we haven't said one belief here that we actually still believe. We've said 10. 
yeah and we don't think any of them are true anymore but we did firmly firmly believe them so if you're listening to this just just question do you have any of these i'm sure we've still got limiting beliefs yeah we just haven't said them because we think they're fact we don't think they're beliefs we think they're the truth (laughs) (laughs) so we won't realize that i think there are so many i think there are so many that we almost don't recognize all the time but if you can get to the point where what is it that's stopping you now is is it a belief or is there something that you can do about it and i i think that that sometimes there are things that as i say they can crack and shatter and be gone quite quickly and sometimes it's slow it's slow consistent developmental change where you start to kind of look for evidence around you evidence in yourself more and more well i'll just try it and see i'll just try it and see is that really true what if i did it another way all of those kind of things and then as you say you look back and you think 10 years ago God, I really believe I could still be believing that. Maybe there's a trick. In 10 years time, do you still want to be believing that? Or do you want to have found another way? And that's your incentive for starting to think about things differently. I don't know if it's possible to do it that way. Maybe that's the thing for another episode. Where do you want to be in 10 years? Oh, holy smoke. Oh, that's <laughs> interview question when you go for a job and they say oh that. Oh my gosh. And you think, not working here, that's for sure, but you can't say that. <laughs> okay, right. Well, hopefully that was um, helpful. I don't know if you've agreed with any of those or if you have any of your own. But there we go, false beliefs. Right, so having gone through all that fantastic belief busting, then of course the world is an endlessly inspiring place. Not some days. What's happened this week that has been that you have either enjoyed or inspired? Well, actually, it's funny because I'm just thinking there's a limiting belief here about this. There always is, about everything. There's a feeling that I shouldn't say this because some people will be going, but. Um, I have discovered since I got my new studio space, I've discovered that being tidy and organized in there is in, it's like you said about brushes. It's enormously helpful to me in my process to keep things tidy and organized and be able to find things. And never in my old space could I do that. I just didn't have the room. And now that I have the room and now that I have my new furniture so that I've got storage built in and places to put things, I'm going to have a very happy day tomorrow of putting things in these new drawers that I've got and sorting out and organizing. And the reason and why I've realized it makes it so much better for me is I'm so impatient and so keen to keep going that if I can't find the right thing, mm-hmm. I'll take anything and then I'll make a mess of what I'm doing because mm. I don't want to stop. I don't want to find it. So being having my paints put away at the end of the night, cleaning my brushes, putting everything back in its right place actually turns out to be really important to me. And I am super messy when I paint. So if I let it go more than a couple of days, it's chaos and you can't move in there. So it's, it's, I'm really actually enjoying going in and putting things back because I know that that means the next day when I need a green meal color, I know where to go find it. Yeah. 
and I won't grab something else instead. I remember when I was doing the whole home hustle thing, which was just this kind of little group thing that I set up. Actually, I met with one of the people last week. Um, and it was all about making your home a space that you wanted to live in rather than the right thing that looks good for a magazine, basically. And I was reading all these books about home design and organization and all this stuff. But I remember the two, two key things that really, really helped me in that was we tend to um, have a place where we put things away. And it said one of the key things is when you're working out what that place would be, ask yourself, where would you go to look for that thing? And what tends to happen is we, we, we have a place where things should be put away, but it's not necessarily where we would go in order to find it. So it's almost like reverse engineer it. So start with where would you go to find that? That's mm. your place where it, where it then lives. And just make the putting things away as easy as you possibly can. So you see on Pinterest all these incredible storage systems with people having pinned up paints in color sequence oh god who has time i mean no. you know don't have time for that i have three i have three shoe boxes it has a basic ready one a basic bluey green one and a neutral box because i know if i can just chuck my tubes of paint in one of those three boxes and it takes 20 seconds to clear up i'm so much more likely to do it than if i have to pick up each paint and sort it between is it warm or is it cool then I can yeah. rummage in the box when I want to find it. So, yeah, trial and error, though, isn't it, on storage systems? Yeah, it is. But anyway, being organized. So I'm very Good. sorry, anybody whose studio looks like Francis Bacon's. And if you haven't seen that, look up Francis Bacon's studio on Google. Mine doesn't look like that. And I'm not going to believe that real artists have messy studios anymore. I'm going to keep <laughs> mine tidy. Okay. Uh, mine has been uh, enjoying music again I think uh, fired by this walk I went up and I came back and I started putting together some Spotify lists in order to download to listen to at the studio I don't normally do this very much normally I just listen to the radio or podcasts but um, music is something that whenever I do take the time to listen to it I really enjoy it. and I searched out a really old album that I couldn't find on there uh, from university days that I haven't listened to for a very long time. It's by Dreadzone. It's called 360 or 360 Degrees um, kind of I dance album with sampling and stuff in. Um, anyway, I found it on eBay CD. Haven't bought it yet. All I can say is I should have kept it. <laughs> what is it? Who is it by? Dreadzone. 360 or 360 degrees and the cover I'll is this weird spiral notes. yeah of, okay. of, i'm not sure what what you'll find online because it's it, it's an older one anyway so we have gone on way too long so much for keeping these a little bit shorter um <laughs> No, we knew it was going to be a bumper one, but there we go. We hope that keeps you going. We will see you again next week. And if you want to see the links or any show notes about this, you can find more about either of us at alicesheridan.com or louisefletcherart.com or there should be show notes wherever you're listening to this podcast. We'll see you again next week. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye. You can't hear it. Okay, because I've got a generator.
got 750 something volts, watts, I don't know, generator running outside my window because we've got no power all day today. Do not put the kettle on. You cannot put the kettle on. It'll blow the whole thing. Even a kettle will blow it? (laughs) We had no power last night, actually, for the first time here. So we had everywhere was candles. Um, It's quite nice. Just went... I gave up trying to read 